smallest tip. There you are. You're running for your life. You're a shooting star. In all those years, no one knows. Just how hard you work. But now it shows that one shining moment you reach deep inside. In one shining moment. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 262 of the world's most dangerous college basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. Joining me this week is your friend and mine, Jason Linden. Jason, everything is beautiful. Am I right? I mean, it was a really nice day out today, I have to say. I went out, played a little ball with the kids. It was not It was not bad at all. That's what you're referring to, right? It's just the weather? That's exactly what I'm referring to. Or perhaps... Hey. Something else. Well, I, I want to know, can I ask you a question? Yes, please do. You know that I'm dumb about all the sports balls except for baseball. And I know there was some basketball tournament going on recently uh, with, I think, the college kids, right? Uh, intercollegiate basketball, yes. Yes. Do you know uh, in that tournament which team it was that ended up winning more games than the other teams? Funny you should ask, Jason Linden. It was the University of Virginia Cavaliers, my alma mater. Oh my goodness, Jason! This is, has been, you know, for, and we're not going to talk much about this. I promise, guys. We're getting to the Cincinnati Reds really soon, but for my entire life, it has never even been something you would even consider that Virginia could win uh, a national championship in basketball. I mean, just you know, they they played, they were in the same conference as Duke and Carolina, and it, but but they were, you know, middle of the pack. Every once in a while, they would get up towards the front. And then, you know, the last 10 years under a Tony Bennett, they have uh, just, uh, it's been success, success after success. And then last year, not success. Uh, oh, they're number one overall seed and they lose in the first round. And this year it was just, uh, it was magical. Uh, you know, when they made the final four, I never thought I'd see them make the final four in my lifetime. Um, although I guess they had made it in my lifetime, but I wasn't paying attention to college basketball back in 1984. So, uh, I took my son and we went to Minneapolis and it was just uh, as memorable a weekend as you can imagine. So, yes, uh, Virginia won the, the college basketball tournament. One shining moment, you know, Jason. Uh, I've, I've heard of that song before and I, and I think that's what you were playing there at the beginning. <laughs> yes, one, one shining moment. So anyway, uh, someone asked if the entire episode was going to be devoted just to the University of Virginia Cavaliers this week. And, and I said on Twitter, no, just, just about half of it. You okay with that? Wahoo wah. <laughs> How about this? You know, the Cincinnati Reds started the year 1-8, and eight, and we do want to get into that bad start a little bit. We talked about it some uh, last week uh, with Doug Gray, but I have to sort of put it in this context. Since the University of Virginia won the national championship in basketball, the Reds haven't lost a game. It's it's true. It is true. The Reds just fresh off a sweep of the Miami Marlins. So after starting one and eight, they're now back to four and eight, and I think three and a half games out of first now. After being as much as six and a half out of first, are we excited about the Reds again? Uh, I mean, I never stopped being excited about the Reds. I lost. Uh, I lost you there for a second, Jason. What was that? I said I never stopped being excited about the Reds, but boy, it's nice to have that fourth win. Isn't it? <laughs> um, and some people are going to say, oh, it was just the Marlins. And okay, yeah, the Marlins stink. 
but they are Major League Baseball players. I, last I checked, right? It's not like they were playing the Orioles. <clears throat> or the Reds. Hey, hey. Oh, wait. What? Keep it clean. Sorry about that. Yeah, going into that Marlins series. Ask Chad. <laughs> going into that Marlins series, the Reds were, as I said, one and eight. Six and a half games out of first after just nine games, already six and a half out. And, you know, you and I had, I think, the same reaction, which is they are absolutely not this bad. There is no chance that they're this bad. But, oh, yeah. But it's all, it was also really kind of after last year's awful start, you know, three and 18. I guess deflating is the word I would use. I, I never, I'm still optimistic. I still think they're roughly 500 or a little bit better team, like we thought going into the season. But man, yeah. how, how deflating was that bad start? I mean, it was it was pretty deflating. <clears throat> but you know, is Joel, a friend of the of the podcast, uh, Joel Luckhop, pointed out that they lost seven of their first seven of their first eight losses were by one or two runs, and that was. That had never been done before, and also it's almost impossible. Um, you know, the the one and two run win wins and losses are are basically coin flips, and the Reds basically just got tails seven times in a row. I mean, it really stunk, was, yes. Which which stunk, but it's not anything that you look at and be like, "Well, we're doomed." Um, and then I was just kind of this morning before uh, work, I was just kind of poking around, and I noticed that the Reds had, uh, going into today, I don't know what it is after today's game, which they won and hit well in, uh, but going into today's game, they had a two twenty six batting average on balls in play, which is, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't going to keep up. Yeah. So it's just been some bad luck. They're going to be good. They're going to, you know, win 107 games or whatever. At Little. least. At least, yeah. Listen, you can't go 154 and 8 if you don't lose at least 8 games. It's true. So, see, you know, they're, they're still on pace. No, I mean, it was just so deflating. That's the word, because last year we started awful, and this year we had so many more expectations, and the Reds fed into those expectations by uh, telling us they were trying to, they're not all in, but they were trying to win more anyway. And what was frustrating about it was just what you said, you know, bad luck, uh, losing those one-run games. You know, three straight, but three straight shutouts, and, and in addition to bad luck, it's bad performance from guys that are going to perform. And we're talking specifically yeah. about almost all of the lineup, basically, yes. except for Jose yeah. Iglesias and, and maybe Derek Dietrich. But, um, and that's what was frustrating about it is that we know these guys are what the back of their baseball cards say. And they all went cold at the same time, again, which is kind of a fluke, but it happened. And, and then it was the reason for that one and eight start. Yes. Yes. But now the flip side of that, it is the pitching was really good, and I want to talk about that. But before we get too much further, I want to tell everyone: stay tuned. After we finished uh, sort of wrapping up what's going on with the uh, the Reds right now, we've got plenty to talk about there. We're going to debut a brand new feature here at Red Leg Nation Radio. It's it's R and R Madness, Red Leg Nation Radio Madness, because you know uh, uh, we just finished what they call March Madness, Jason. You know, and uh, I, I do, and I think you're excited about what happened. Well, it was a tournament, and and that's the vibe I picked up on. Out of the 68 teams in the tournament, 67 of them lost their last game. Right. What was? Remind me again. Which was the team that did not lose their last oh, game? Oh my goodness! It was DeAndre Hunter, Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, Mamadi Diakite, Kihei Clark, and the Virginia Cavaliers. <laughs> they got they got a five nine freshman that starts for them. They do. They do. He was his only other uh, big offer was University of California at Davis 
and he ends up starting in the national championship game for Virginia. Oh. Okay, anyway, so I, I, can, right. I really could go the full hour talking about Virginia. I'm just amazed in the fact that I got to share that in that big football stadium with 73,000 of my closest friends, including my son, is something that we're never going to forget. But um, let's talk, first of all, about the fact that the Reds have scored 21 runs, I believe, in this series against the Marlins. Yes, let's talk about that. And that they scored, that was they doubled up on it. They scored 21 <laughs> runs in their first nine games, I think, right? Yeah, you, you stepped on my line. Going into that series, they had scored a total of 21 runs all year, and they scored 21 in this season. Now, that's a regression to the mean or reverting to the mean. But how yeah. bad was the offense, Jason? And, and, it, and who are our main culprits here, I guess? Let's call some people out. Um, well, it was startlingly non-existent. And our main culprits are the entire outfield. The entire, I mean, listen, Yasiel Puig has been the best hitting outfielder. And right now his slash line is a 147 average, 194 on base, 206 slugging. And he was the best of the bunch. Yeah. Um, Shebler was like 0 for his first 30. That's Scott Shebler. Matt Kemp, roughly the same. Um, Let's talk about those three. Well, in particular, well, let's add Jesse Winker, who's been just as awful as well. But Winker is a good example of what you were just talking about. Winker has hit the ball on the screws more than anybody on this team. He has been so unlucky. I feel like he's been hitting as well as anybody that I've seen on any team in the league. And just no luck no luck at all. So um, what, what do you think about Winker's performance so far? And then I want to talk about Shebler's bad start. Uh, I am completely unworried about Winker's performance. Like, I mean, I, I am captain. It's still early. I just, I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's going to be fine. Um, that's, that's pretty much my entire feel about things, especially with somebody like Jesse Winker. I mean, Jesse Winker is going to get on base roughly 40% of the time. He's going to hit a few home runs. He's probably going to hit like 300 or 310. Like, he'll be fine. I'm not yeah. worried. And again, we're talking about a week and a half. Yeah. Ted Williams had a week and a half where he didn't hit very well, Well, I bet. I am completely certain that that is the case. With Shebler, though, you know, there was some of this uh, angst over the fact that Nick Senzel didn't get the center field job coming out of camp, and, uh, and Shebler really not able to play center field particularly well defensive. None of these guys are. As a matter of fact, uh, Winkers started a game in center. Uh, Peraza's been out there. Lorenzen's been out there. It's kind of a kind of a disaster defensively. But do, do you feel like, and there's really no way to know this, but did you get the sense in watching the games that Shebler was pressing a little bit because you know there's a lot on his shoulders. He he's looking over his shoulder and knows that knows that Senzel's creeping up on him. Is that is that fair? Or is that just uh, we'll never know? I mean, know. it's probably fair, but I don't know. I mean, from what I can see, you know, I mean, Scott Shebler, he's walked some. He struck out struck out about as much as he normally does. And again, his batting average on balls in play is like cratered. That's not, you know, that's just luck, I think, at this point, honestly. Yeah. What about Matt Kemp? Um, I have been, let's say, none of these guys have hit well, but I have been less than impressed with Kemp. I don't know if it's effort or if it's just lack of athleticism, but he looks like he's running in uh, quicksand out there in left field. Well, I mean, Kemp is the one where it's kind of just like, you know, he's getting toward the end of his career. Um, he's in the last year of this huge extension that he signed. And and it's just, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's got, he's 
got a homer now, right? He's he's done some things, but yeah, I mean, he's... if if Kemp all of a sudden cratered, that would be the least surprising person to crater on the entire team. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. Um, although you know, I wouldn't expect him to crater quote-unquote, necessarily. I mean, you expect him to at least be... I was hoping he'd be a competent fourth outfielder type because he could really help the team in that role. But he's actually gotten, uh, you know, I think more at-bats than any other... I'm looking... uh, I think Shebler has, well, more at-bats, but not more plate appearances. Yeah, Matt Kemp has more plate appearances than any outfielder on this team. If if I'm looking at that correctly. Maybe not. Um but either way, he's gotten a lot of uh, plate appearances. He's really struggled, and I don't know. He, it's not that he looks disinterested or anything. I don't think that's the case. I think he's just – I think he's – I think he sort of in comparison to some of the other athletes out there, he he uh, does not, does not match up. Some of the other athletes out <laughs> so, there. I'm trying to figure out a kind way to say he's getting old. But uh, – yeah. and, and I don't want to say that he's disinterested or not trying hard because I don't have any reason to believe that. Most of these guys really do. Uh, give a full effort. They're pros, but uh, he's yeah. not. He's not been good. Now, uh, another of our new acquisitions over the off season. Well, for, let's talk about both of the the guys signed to minor league contracts. First of all, let's talk about Jose Iglesias. Okay. Um, he that guy can pick it at shortstop, can he? <sighs> I mean, you can see why the Tigers picked him over Eugenio Suarez, uh, just with the glove, anyway. Yeah, yeah, you can. Uh... Though one of those guys signed on a minor league deal with the Reds, and the other one signed a long term extension with the Reds. So, oh, one of clearly way, way, way better. Not, yeah. but but I'm just saying, Iglesias makes some plays in short. Yeah, wow, that just drop your jaw. Uh, strictly with the glove, we're talking about here. Believe me. Although you know what, he has a home run. He's uh, got three doubles. That's about you know that's better than I would have expected from him. So he's been a net plus, I think, so far. Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, I wrote a thing for Red Leg Nation, I don't know, a week or two ago, um, talking about, like, sort of the, the realistic view of, of where how good the Reds were. Like, basically looked at the Fangraphs positional rankings and went through them. And it was just after uh, Scooter had gotten hurt. And I was like, you know, if you look at the projections, Iglesias and Peraza doesn't project to really be any different than Peraza and Jeanette. Like, the value is coming from different spots, but it's yeah. the same amount of value or from different categories i suppose but it's the same amount of value well you know i, I don't like necessarily having a peraza at second and uh, iglesias at short when you know the other options are having senzel somewhere here uh, and again that's not an option now because he's hurt but yeah um but you you do gain something defensively from having peraza and iglesias up the middle certainly and actually i think you probably gain substantially yeah over the marginal value of i mean iglesias is better at short than peraza um, and Peraza's a lot better at second than uh, than Scooter would have been. So yeah, you went from basically an adequate shortstop and a significantly below average second baseman to probably Gold Glove caliber players at both positions. Absolutely. So it's uh, you know, um, it's, it's sort of what we said before the season about Iglesias, which is, hey, that's a good backup infielder to have around, you know. And it's, it's proving out, right? And, I mean, yeah. like you said, I mean, the, the bat has been nice, but even if he hadn't hit the home runs, you know, his defense has been you, – you can't complain. You know, you yeah. would, if, if he hit like he had for his career line with the defensive plays he's made, you'd be like, yep, yeah, he can fill in the short anytime he wants. Yeah, if he's starting 145 games, you got a problem. 
but filling in, you know, uh, for, on a short-term you basis. Is, I don't think you really do have a problem if he starts 145 games. You know what? I'm going to take a step back from that because I think you're absolutely right. It's not your best option if you have other guys like Senzel available, you know what I'm saying, to throw in there. And Peraza is going to hit better than him. But his defense is so good that uh, he it's, it's still just astounding that he had to sign a minor league deal. It is. I mean, he's basically been the definition of average throughout his entire career, maybe even a tick above average, and he's signing a minor league deal. There used to be uh, value in a, an average player. Yeah. So the Reds are the beneficiary of that. Um, so I, I've got no complaints about Iglesias. Uh, the other guy I want to talk about that signed a minor league deal, which is another guy that I don't know, uh, that should not have had to sign a minor league deal, is Derek Dietrich. And it's another guy that we said, boy, what a good guy to have on your bench. You know, he can't really yeah. play defense too well, but that guy's got a bat. And his slash line numbers don't look great right now, but three home runs. And uh, we all uh, remember the one on opening day where he went completely nuts. Of course, uh, he uh, the uh, the other memorable one that he had was the first one in that game against the Pirates where he kind of looked at it a little bit uh, off Chris Archer. And then the next time up, Chris Archer tried to uh, kill him with a pitch. Yeah. And so benches kind of emptied, and Yasiel Puig became a Reds legend at that point. Uh, you've seen the picture, I'm sure, man. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Um, so uh, any thoughts about about that? And, you know, some people are saying, well, that, that, got, him, that got him going. It got him, you know, uh, well, the fact of the matter is they ended up losing that game. But, uh, yeah. uh, yeah, oh, so. you know, I never know about that that got him going and stuff. Like, that's, I think, all narrative more than anything else. Um, right, yeah, but yeah, but I mean, you know, he, he's another one who he's the power's been good. He's got a once again a weirdly low batting average on balls in play. I think he'll be fine. I don't think he's as good as Iglesias for whatever that's worth. He's a better hitter than Iglesias, but I don't think he's a better player. Right. Um, and but I think he's a fabulous bat to have on the bench because he can hit, and he's somebody that you don't if you're the opposing pitcher, you know and he comes out to hit for the pitcher, then that's, you know, that's something that you got to take seriously. Yeah. He leads the team in ribeye steaks. I, I like a good steak. There you go. He's also tied for the team leading home runs uh, with Gino. Um, so, you know, but Dietrich, you want to talk about this, uh, the, the antics with Pittsburgh? Cause I think we probably need to take just a moment to unpack that a little bit um, um, because this nonsense happens only with the pirates. It, it never yeah. happens against any other team. Is that fair? I mean, am I forgetting someone? Seems like a lovely city. Boy, do I hate the Pirates. Pittsburgh is a lovely city. It's, you know, I've spent some time there, and it's a, actually a, a really underrated city. Yeah, uh, and it's the, like, what is the, But what is this nonsense? Like, stop it! It's ridiculous. Like, you know, I really liked the quote that Amir Garrett said, where he was like, "You know, I came up playing basketball, and in basketball, if somebody like." dunks on you and yeah. then like shows off a little bit it's on you to not get dunked on next time like you know don't cry about it just play better yeah i'm gonna i want to go dunk on them yeah you know here's what bothers me most about this whole thing and of course chris archer gets five game suspension which is ludicrous because they'll just push him back one day and it, yeah. it really won't affect him meanwhile david bell uh served a one game suspension yasiel puig got two games and he, yeah. and he didn't appeal it, he said, because I didn't want to talk to Joe Torrey again. <laughs> it was <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, he said, that guy doesn't even listen when you talk to him or something like that. Uh, but but what it comes down to is, here's, here's, here's the part that really irritates me more than anything. Last postseason, Major League Baseball 
had this uh, big ad campaign right at the beginning of the postseason and throughout the entire uh, playoffs called Let the Kids Play. And then they doubled down on it this spring with another ad campaign, Let the Kids Play. And the, But the one last year was, hey, these kids are going to be out here flipping bats and, you yeah. know, getting excited and having fun. And, and I think you probably agree with me is that that's something that's really missing from baseball. Let them show themselves having a little bit of fun out there. It's supposed to be a fun yeah. game. And so, and one of the guys that was featured was Chris Archer because he goes crazy when he strikes a guy out. As a matter of fact, the last time he'd faced Derek Dietrich before this, he went nuts after striking him out looking, danced off the field. And so, but then he goes and throws a ball at Dietrich's head because he stood and stared at the ball after he crushed a ball into the river. Was that the Monongahela? I don't know what river. The umpires apparently told Bell that, they would have ejected him if he'd thrown at his head. And it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> really? Do we do we remember what happened to Joey Votto last year? Because oh. I do. Ryan Madsen, rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that was the other part that frustrated me, was that he throws at Derek Dietrich. And doesn't not only doesn't he get tossed, but the, the uh, benches are warned. And David Bell comes out and says, why are you warning us? That guy just, you know, threw at a guy. And that's how it all kind of got started. Yasiel Puig was on deck, and he came out. And then, you know, uh, I, I'm going to love that. It, that picture of Yasiel Puig fighting all the pirates, that's, I think someone said it's uh, like a Renaissance painting. It was gorgeous. Yeah. It looked like something Botticelli had uh, painted or something. It was, gosh, it was fantastic. It. So, but it's, it's the, you know, Clint Hurdle, Pirates manager, comes out and basically says, yeah, you're not going to do that stuff against us. And it's ridiculous. I don't care if Chris Archer dances off the field when he strikes a guy out. I don't care. You know you know what I think should happen? No one's going to listen to me, but this is what I think should happen. I think somebody should tell Clint Hurdle that the next time one of his players obviously throws at another player, he's suspended for a month. Yes. Not the player, Clint Hurdle. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Because like, this is all coming from him. We know it is. Or, you know what? Don't find the player... Find the Pirates organization a million bucks. Yeah. Let there be some rep- actual repercussions. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, it's not going to happen. But well, um, but again, that, that's what I'm talking about. They have this big ad campaign to let the kids play and you know flip bats and all this stuff. And I think that's great. That's what I want. But then when it comes time to you know, actually put some, some oomph behind that ad campaign, baseball says, oh, well, he wasn't actually throwing at his head, so I can't, we can't eject him. And, well, you know, we're going to... Uh, suspend him for five games, but it really just means he has to push his start back a day. We're not going to actually get serious. And no, we're not going to suspend the manager who's calling for uh, players to go headhunting because they're upset because a guy watched his home run. Baseball had a chance here to take a statement that we are a fun game. We want the players to have fun, and we're not tolerating this 1930s nonsense anymore. And they missed their opportunity to do that, and so the Pirates are going to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, they are until somebody stops them. Man, I used to have really fond feelings towards the Pirates because I felt their pain for being awful for so long and getting back. They sort of had a similar trajectory to the Reds. Man, I can't. I've got nothing for that organization now. And don't get me started on the Steelers. Oh, I mean, yeah, I don't care about football, but even I dislike the Steelers. <laughs> well, I don't know, really. Uh, I used to watch a lot of football anymore. So uh, let's see. What else is there to discuss here? I think we've kind of done that one. How about Nick Senzel? Uh, 
making progress in his efforts to return from a sprained right ankle. He, he got rid of the boot. He's resumed baseball activities. And uh, here's what frustrates me about this. <laughs> oh, that's good. And I want to talk about the fact that he's kind of close, but here's the way it was, yeah. here's the way it was reported at reds.com. And it's my buddy that's uh, reporting and I really like the guy, but it really frustrates me. Um, Shebler uh, made a strong showing in the competition for the regular center field job before coming up short against Scott Shebler. That's one way to put it. Once healthy, Sinzel's expected to play at AAA Louisville to continue gaining experience in center field until he's ready for his first big league call-up. That's Mark, baloney. Mark, I love you. I mean, I really do love you, but that's that's the company line. It's I mean, it's I guess it's technically true, but... Well, it's the quote he has, right? Yes, that's right. That, that's what that's what the organization has told him. And I guess actually, you know what? He's a reporter, and so maybe we should, uh, in this era, be happy that he's reporting that. But um, I, I think I think if I were to quibble with that, and I will quibble right now, the issue is not so much the fact being reported, but it should be attributable. It should say sources inside the Reds. There you or, go. Yes, or quote a specific person say this. But right, the way he's putting it out there is as though this is the general wisdom of what is going to happen, as which absolutely is not the general wisdom. Yeah, I would I would dispute that those are actual facts. Yeah, what's actually going to happen is that he's going to play what amounts to a rehab assignment in Louisville, and then he's going to get called up and play every game. Yes. Now, let me ask you this, and I don't want to get into it because we beat Sinzel to death every time we talk about him, especially you and I. Yeah. But uh, this podcast, certainly, we're big-time Sinzel fans. Uh, and I do appreciate uh, Nick Sinzel's dad uh, wishing me luck uh, as Virginia went to the Final Four on Twitter. That was nice of him. But do you think the Reds use this as an opportunity to keep him down until whenever the Super 2 uh, deadline is in around June or so? No, so. I don't. Can't, do you think they can afford to – well, they've already taken a PR hit. Why not keep him down even longer? they got an excuse now. No, I think he'll come up. I do too. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think you will. In fact, in fact, do you want me to uh, do you want me to, to to go ahead and compose the the uh, the Dick Williams quote for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, let me say this first though. We're predicting that he will come up, but we've been fooled before. We thought he'd be on the opening day roster. True. So, so this is how it's going to go. You ready? Yes. So you know, it was it was too bad. Uh, you know, obviously, what happened with Nick and, and the injury once he got set down. Uh, we really wanted him to get some more time in the outfield. And, you know, he did get a little bit of that since he's come back from the injury. But but really with the way our outfield has, has scuffled kind of offensively coming out of the gate, we felt like we really just needed that extra bat. And, uh, and nobody doubts that Nick Senzel is ready to hit. So we felt like the time was really right to bring him up now so he could, so he could contribute to the team yeah. uh, right away and, and make sure that we get on a roll and stay on a roll. What I hear there is that... Uh, he makes our team better. Yeah. To which I say, yeah, he would have on opening day too. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. That's probably the way it goes. Um, but either way, Sinzel's getting better and hopefully soon going to get some game action and hopefully we'll yeah, have him I'll, in Cincinnati. I'll be um, at games. I wasn't they, Louisville had their home opener tonight and I wasn't able to go, but I'll be there tomorrow and periodically throughout the week. So I'll, I'll try to keep things updated and, and ask people I can ask. Uh, how things are going with his with his rehab and and if he plays in a game, of course, I'll let everybody know. And, and you need to go talk to him for the podcast. 
Say, hey, it's I'm, the podcast. And he'll be like, what are you talking about, man? It's not impossible that that can be managed, but we'll see. <laughs> I know. I understand. Um, he's got a lot of people uh, grabbing at his time. Alex Wood, another new uh, new red required in the Dodgers trade in the offseason. Left-handed starting pitcher. Has not pitched in a game this season. Sore lower backs is supposedly the uh, the the reason. I have no reason to believe that's not the case. but Yeah, he's had back issues in the past is my understanding. Yes. He did throw on back-to-back days for the first time in a few weeks and has improved as the company line, which is good. But there was a yeah. quote from David Bell that said, eh, we're going to stop out there and see him in Arizona and see how he's doing. I, I'm told he's doing well. But it, it, the quote made it sound like it, his return is not imminent. Did you see that quote, and, and did you get the same sense of it? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll happen when it happens. But honestly, I mean, I mean, it stinks, and, and hopefully nobody else goes down. But I don't have an issue with Tyler Molly. Uh, who has looked brilliant so far. We're going to get to him in just one moment. Absolutely. Yeah, that's been – it's been easier to uh, suffer through this absence of uh, Alex Wood, but we need that guy back though, right? Yeah. I mean, he yeah, we want him in the rotation, but but I think Molly is, is doing a fabulous job in the meantime. Um, well, let's get into the pitching because we've talked about the hitting so much, and the only reason the Reds are not owing 1,000 right now for the year is because of that pitching. And – I thought this was an interesting... Well, I mean, in fairness, I think they could have had last year's pitching and still won that one game. <laughs> That's probably true, as a matter <laughs> of fact. But I, it really it fascinates me that th- through 10 games, the Reds were 2-8. and eight. Okay, they're 4-8 and eight now. But through that first 10 games, 2-8, and eight, which is really yeah. not good. No. The Reds had scored 35 runs while allowing 34. The f- yeah. The first time in the entire history of Major League Baseball that a team began a season by outscoring its opponents through 10 games, but only won as few as two games. I mean, it, and two things there. The pitching was really good to only allow 34, but, uh, you know, the fact that the Reds scored 35, we're talking about their uh, awful offense, and still they, the pitching held them to fewer. But that's what when we say bad luck or, you know, that's yeah. that's this has never happened before that a team's played like this. And only went two and eight. And why did it have to be our Reds? That's just you know that's just how it goes. Um, that's part of being a Reds fan. There's there's a time I think you know uh, former baseball player Oscar Gamble had a wonderful quote for these situations, which is sometimes they don't think it be like it is, but it do. <laughs> can can you say that again? Sometimes they don't think it be like it is, but it do. <laughs> Oscar Gamble, my favorite baseball card growing up was Oscar Gamble. Oh, that's great. So, so it's the pitching, and there are a few guys that I want to talk about specifically. And the first one, let's talk about the guy who started opening day because this, we are seeing what we expect or what we hoped for, not expected, hoped for out of Luis Castillo. Castillo, one on one on the season after three starts, an ERA of 0.92. He has struck out 25. He has walked eight. He has allowed only two runs in his three starts over almost 20 innings. Is there anything about Luis Castillo that we can say other than, wow? No. But we're going to. He is second in all of baseball and leads the NL, according to fan graphs, in wins above replacement for pitchers. What, did um, that, what was that number, Fangraphs? Did you see it? Because he's at 1.1 already on, at Baseball Reference. 0.9 on Fangraphs, so they're roughly in sync. Um, yeah, but but we're two weeks into the season. 
Yeah. Yeah, we are. That is, he is on, if, if he were to pitch like this for the rest of the year and start the number of games you would expect him to start, that's a 10-win that's a season. That's the greatest season by a starting pitcher in Cincinnati Reds history. <laughs> yes, and, and one now, of the best ever. Right, and probably it's not going to happen. But, you know, watching, watching him pitch so far, uh, I definitely have moments where I look at him and I think, I could see him winning the Cy Young. Oh yeah, no, I don't think that. I mean, I don't. Th- I, Which I, has I, never happened for a Reds pitcher before, and it, this is the first time in a while since. I mean, there was Johnny Cueto, but it definitely is the first time since Cueto that I look at him and I think, "Oh, okay, we got something here." Yeah, I'm not uh, going to bet the ranch on uh, on him winning the Cy Young, but uh, come on, you know, I mean, this guy is uh, is just. It, we've said ever since he first emerged. This guy has all the talent in the world to be an ace. And it's not just us. I mean, if you go to Fangraphs, look at the things Jeff Sullivan's written in the past. Uh, one of my favorite analysts. He's an, he has the stuff to be an ace. And last year, he was awful in April. I mean, just awful. And the rest of his season was a, a, a bit of a step forward over the year before. It was a significant step forward. He was a very good pitcher for the rest of the season. Yeah. And he's only 26 now. And, yeah. you know... Uh, I loved when he was announced as the opening day starter. And I believe it was you and I that talked about it on the podcast here, but I, I've said something on Twitter, twitter.com, that uh, garbage website, where I, that I was happy that he got the opening day start. And you would not believe the people uh, that came back and said, ah, yeah, but he's been awful all spring. I don't know why you think he's going to be any good. Hey, remember when Scott Shevler's numbers meant he was going to be the MVP this year because spring – those are those are two perfect examples of why you just every year you got to remind yourself to ignore spring training numbers. Uh, David Bell, he's the Reds manager. He said he's so mature for a young pitcher. He started a little bit slow in spring training, but he had a plan all along. His timing was just right. Even though this this wasn't the goal, he responded to getting the opening day start. I think he really it gave him a boost. He just kind of picked it up a notch and took it to another another level with his preparation. He came in ready to go from day one of spring training. And I think it's car- carried over. Uh, yeah. I guess, so the question I have for you is, are we ready to spell his name A-C-E? I, you know, I think we are. And, and I've been waiting a while. You know, what you said about his, or the David Bell quote about his maturity. I can't remember which player it was. It was, an, it was, one of, it was a middle infielder, but I can't remember who. When Castillo first got called up to the Reds a couple of years ago, one of the things they said about how impressed they were with him is they compared him to Cueto, and they were like, you know, it's like with Cueto, like something happens, and he's like, all right, come on, let's go. <laughs> it, you know, a mistake happens in the field, or somebody gets a hit, and he's not affected. It doesn't rattle him. He just goes back to doing his job. Um, and I think, you know, we've just been waiting for him to grow into it, and he has. And, and who boy, it sure looks like he, he's an ace now. You know, it's still awfully early in the season, but but we've seen this coming with him, so it's it's very encouraging. There you go. That's the point I was going to make is it's only three starts. But, yeah. But this is something we've seen building for the last two years. You just see him get more confidence and, and figuring out his pitches and figuring out figuring out things. And it's kind of like it goes back to the old Marty Brenneman quote with Johnny Cueto was probably about 26. And, and, and Marty Brenneman said, I, just, I don't know if this kid's ever going to get it. And, of course, Johnny Cueto got it. And uh, you can just, young pitchers, take some time to develop. And, and he's going to struggle. He's going to have some bad starts. He, his next start may be awful. But you just see so many things from Castillo in the way he commands every pitch, really. But yeah. uh, 
you just see things that he makes people swing and miss so much that you can just, I don't know, it's it's the way we do things here, Jason, you and I, uh, to get overly optimistic at times, but I'm just, it's here. The, I, I just, I, I, lo- I love the guy. Let, let's let's do this. Let's just look at some real world numbers, okay? I like real world numbers. Since his first start in May of last year, he wait, has wait, picked... wait, 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 wait. Since that time, Virginia's won one national championship. It's true. It's okay. True. Sorry. Continue. Um, he has started twenty eight games, which is very nearly what we would classify as a full season. Yes. He has pitched one hundred and sixty and two thirds innings in that time. It's not bad. He has struck out 9.3 batters per nine innings while only walking two and a half batters per nine innings. And he has an ERA of 325 and FIP and XFIP don't really think that's a mirage. Okay, but what's his one loss record during that time? 10-10. See, he's an average pitcher. I, I'm not sure if I can do this, listeners, but I'm afraid I just had to fire Chad from his own podcast. <laughs> First of all, they're not listeners; they're viewers. And no, they really, can't I, see me. <laughs> I'm I, I'm glad that you put it in those, uh, put that into context, and you framed it outside of that bad April he had last year. Because we're now we're talking about basically a full year of pitching, and he yeah, has been dark, and it'll be a full year. How many pitchers in the league have numbers that good over the last uh, you know 365 days? Approximately. Yeah, not many. Yeah, there's not going to be many. I mean, it's just, this guy's the real deal, and he's still only 26. And uh, I hesitate to talk about giving long-term contracts to pitchers because we've been burned. But if there's one guy the Reds wanted to think about, especially if they get a team-friendly deal like we've seen the, the Braves and, and some other teams getting from their players, man, that's yeah. a guy I want to see around Cincinnati for a long time. Um, now, I want him to get paid. I love Luis Castillo. I think he's going to deserve every penny he gets paid. But... Um, Nothing but uh, optimistic about his future. I think he's the ace. I agree. And here is evidence. Are you ready? I'm always ready. I'm all about the evidence. Uh, Luis Castillo last year, if, basically if you take his first three starts this year and, and take out his April of last year, uh, last season he would have been 17th in baseball in ERA. Wow. Well, the jury's ordered to dis- disregard that evidence. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really. I mean, that we're, now we're talking ace. Yep. Wow. But he's the only pitcher that's been pitching well for the Reds so far, right? No. <laughs> Amazingly not. Shall we talk about Sonny Gray? Oh, shall we? Sonny Gray was awful in his first start. And, yeah. And, and if you saw any of the interviews, go back and look at some of the videos of the interviews of him after that game. He was. It was. Uh, it wasn't really a Derek Dietrich moment of him being excited for that first home run with the Reds where you're like, oh, I'm going to love this guy. But it was a situation where he was like really upset with himself. And he basically said, I guarantee, I guarantee it won't be like this next time out. And you know what? It's not been like that since. Sonny Gray's had put together two great starts since then and really looking like, uh, again, we're just talking about a few games here. We don't want to get into small sample size stuff, but looking like the Reds were smart to give this guy uh, that uh, contract extension because he's looking an awful lot like I want to see around here for a while longer. Yeah. Can can we talk about how Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo are going to be Reds for a while? Oh my goodness! It could be one and two. That's <laughs> and and Tyler Molly the way he's pitched slide him in at number three. Oh, I'm, I'm giggling over here. 
It's not, it, you know, and it, this is, I, I don't feel like we're talking ourselves into things. You know, it's one of those like, yeah, this feels like it's real. This is like, this could be a thing. Yeah, and, and maybe it's not. Maybe we are talking ourselves into things. But Castillo's a guy that everyone has said has ace potential. Sonny yeah. Gray has been an ace at the major league level. I mean, he just has been. And he's still, what, 29? Um, yeah. Tyler Malley is a guy that I think you and I have consistently said probably his ceiling is a number two starter, but he could be a solid number two or a great number three starter. You know, uh, he's not uh, he's not walking as many guys now. He's got he's getting used. To this. Again, young pitchers it takes a while. You can go back to the the beginning of Red Lake Nation Radio this podcast, and we were talking about Homer Bailey being young and give him some time. Uh, Malley ERA of zero point eight two after his first two starts of the year. 12 strikeouts, four walks. This is the Tyler Malley that you saw in Louisville and yeah. that uh, we expected to see. You know, we, we did see a little bit of it last year, but wow. Yeah, yeah. For, saw for a lot of last year. And, I mean, let's be fair. For a kid who was, what, 22 when he debuted in the majors? 16. He was 16 years old. Right. So through his first 143 innings, he's got a 434 earned run average. That is not bad. Go ahead. For a 22-year-old, you know, 22, 23, and a little, just a touch of 24-year-old. How many innings did you say there? 143. I want someone to go, and maybe you can do it while I'm talking here, and look at Greg Maddox. He used to pitch for the uh, the Cubs at that time. I'd like to know what his numbers were through his first, uh, you know, 140-plus innings, because I guarantee they, they weren't that good. Uh, he was awful at the beginning. Now, again, he was... They were, he was a little younger, probably, but and he's a legend. It's not fair to compare him, but I'm just saying, uh, for a young guy to come in and start that well, as well as Tyler Molly has, and listen, there's I'm nothing but optimistic about that. He's he's my well, Castillo is is probably the most talented, but Tyler Molly, man, I just he's a guy that I, I want to see yeah. him as a. I don't want to see him go back to AAA. I guess so. So Maddox was was much worse than Tyler Molly through his first. His, over his first two seasons, he got 180 innings or so, and he had an ERA over five and a half. However, and this is why Greg Maddox is a legend, the, he was 20 and 21 in those seasons. And when he was 22, which is the age at which Tyler Molly debuted, he went 18 and 8 with a 318 ERA yes. and made the all-star team. So, yeah. Which is why I made sure to say I'm not comparing Molly to, to Greg Maddox. Yeah. He's, he's a legend. But if Molly could be a poor man's Greg Maddox, which I think is a pretty good uh, comp in terms uh, – it's not a comp. He's not Greg Maddox. No one is Greg Maddox. But he's he doesn't throw really hard. He really – he doesn't walk many guys, though. He has some of the, the Greg Maddox-type skills, just not as good as Greg Maddox, because no one is. But uh, for a two number two or number three starter at his peak, man, this guy – I don't know. I mean, I just I see him as having a better career than Mike Leake, and Mike Leake has been uh, employed and uh, in, in, uh, an effective pitcher in the big leagues for a long time. Yeah. And I see Molly just being. Uh, I, yeah. As somebody who always says that Mike Leake is underrated, I agree. I think Tyler Molly has a has a higher ceiling than Mike Leake. People are going to hear that. and They're going to say he was the number five starter here in 2012. Is that all we've got here? Yeah, Mike Leake would have only been a number five starter here. Yeah, that was a great uh, rotation. The Red yeah. said so. <laughs> As I always say, he was a number five starter here. He was a number three or two starter on most major league teams. How about this? When Wood gets back, though, Tyler Malley has options. So he's probably the guy that goes to Louisville, right? Oh, he for sure is the guy who goes to Louisville. But somebody, I mean, let's be realistic. Somebody's going to get dinged up at some point. Like Tyler Malley's going to get 20 to 20 probably plus starts 
in the majors this year. And then next year, he's going to be in the rotation. That's my prediction. Yeah, no, I think, and I think I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that. Uh, there are going to be other guys get hurt. He'll be back and forth. But, uh, oh, man, I'm looking forward to the day when he's here to stay because I'm just I'm a big Tyler Malley fan. Big Luis Castillo fan, big Tyler Malley fan, big becoming a big Sonny Gray fan. In terms of pitchers, uh, starting pitchers, Tanner Roark's been eh, not great, kind of what we expect out of Tanner Roark. Uh, Di Sclafani has had some good moments, had some bad moments. So uh, Anthony Di Sclafani is Anthony Di Sclafani. I don't know. He's healthy. That's something. But you know what? If your four and five pitchers roughly do what Di Sclafani and Roark have done, and, you know, there's some variation. Like Anthony Di Sclafani is not going to have an ERA near seven. Like, you know, but if you look at how he's actually pitched, if your four and five starters are pitching like that, you're fine. You don't have anything to worry about. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not complaining. Absolutely. Uh, here's the guy I wanted to talk about because you and I have spent some airtime talking about this guy, and we spent some time talking about whether he should even be on the opening day roster or whether the Reds should just cut bait. And we're just talking about six and a third innings here. But hey, Robert Stevenson, he looks like a different Robert Stevenson so far. Uh, small sample size, small sample size. But just watching him, he passes the eye test through six and a third innings. Is that fair? It is fair. He does look a lot different. Uh, reports are that he's changed some grips and some mechanics and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it's... Some people are just like that. Some people take a while to get it. And I think for some people, you have to realize you have to find yourself back on the outside looking in again. And he was almost there. Uh, Oh, I think he was there. Yeah. And you wonder how much having Derek Johnson, the new pitching coach, is having some effect on him. I think almost certainly it's having an effect on Sonny Gray because they've been together since their days at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt University, by the way, they lost a... uh, College World Series National Championship game in baseball to the University of Virginia Cavaliers. <laughs> it's a true story. True story. Um, they beat Virginia, and then Virginia the next year came back and beat them. Hey, Chad. Uh, has Virginia had any other interesting athletic achievements recently? Well, they, they won the National Championship in basketball. Okay, I thought so. I just wanted to make sure. It was exciting. So, but Stevenson, listen, again, I we don't want to make too much of six and a third innings, but there has been nothing but uh, but good stuff at his arm. And and what I like is this number, one walk. Eight strikeouts, one walk. I mean, uh, that has been the bugaboo. If he can keep from walking people, he's always had the talent. That's always been the case. It's always been the reason his numbers were mediocre to bad is because he walked too many guys. What, what about this, if we're trying to be optimistic? What if Robert Stevenson could not only comes back from the brink of uh, being uh, waived, essentially, uh, you know, getting a new, uh, a new lease on life elsewhere, what if he comes back for that and becomes a starter again? Uh, I'm not there yet. I'm not, oh, I'm not even close to being there, but he's been a starter his whole career. He was yeah. a first-round pick. What if you can bring him back into the mix of guys that might be available to be, you know, I mean, the four or five guy next year. That would be amazing. It's exciting to think but, about. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, uh, anyone else in particular you want to talk about so far? Cause we really need to get into red leg nation radio madness. Um, I don't think so. I think, I think we've covered all of our bases. It, it's looking good now that the bats are picking it up a little bit. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if, if in a week or two they're they're 
500 or even a little bit better. I, you know, I think that's pretty easy to imagine. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And after after starting one and eight, oh man, yeah, you think about one and eight, and they've got to go play seven over ball the rest of the way just to get the 500. But uh, they're almost already, well, not almost, but they're on their way back to there. Uh, we're yeah, gonna- four and eight, and I think if if a team starts four and eight, you're like, oh, that's a rough start, but it's not the end of the world. You understand that it's like whatever, it's early. You know, they win two more games and they're six and six. Right. Yeah. If they'd started, you know, two and two, and then uh, you know lost a couple games, and then they win a, win one, and then you know, lose a couple, yeah. then win a couple, whatever. You know, they're four and eight. Came in that has everybody all twitchies. I'm I'm not worried about it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we're going to get into some Red Leg Nation uh, radio madness here. This is a terribly exciting. We're going to need some participation from you guys. Before I do that, I want to say some thank yous to uh, supporters at Patreon. Patreon.com slash Red Leg Radio. Uh, you can support the podcast there if you want to throw us a couple bucks to help keep this thing going. We appreciate it. You don't have to. This podcast every week is going to remain free. But I do want to thank the guys who, uh, I shouldn't say guys, the people who, have chosen to support us since the last time we uh, gave some shout-outs. Let's go ahead and do that before we get into the madness, because I think this is going to be a fun project we're starting here at Red Leg Nation Radio, and we're going to need your help. Rich Harwood, buddy, thank you so much for uh, supporting the podcast at patreon.com slash redlegradio. Cannot uh, cannot be more appreciative. Hooper Powell, I thanked you last week. For some reason, you're still on my list. Uh, but uh, actually, I may have already thanked all these guys, but I'm going to thank them again. I know I thanked Hooper Powell because that's a great name. You guys deserve an extra shout-out. I think I just forgot to, to mark the uh, mark them as complete. Andrew Scott Wills, thank you so much. Thanks all you guys. And if, if you want to go support us, good. Appreciate it. Again, you don't have to, but it does, it does mean something. Now, Red Leg Nation Radio Madness. March Madness just finished, and uh, we got to thinking – over the last week, you know what? Maybe we should uh, try to do something like this with respect to the Reds. And I would like to see this become a yearly thing. We'll see if it it sticks. If everyone responds, we may try to do it again with a different, uh, different uh, topic next year. But right now it's, we're going to do a, a bracket essentially. And let me try to explain what we're talking about. It's a 68 team bracket, just like the uh, NCAA basketball tournament. But it's for most valuable red of all time. So we have gone through, we've seeded 68 different uh, teams out of four regions. Teams, I can say teams, but they're actually players from Red's history. And we're going to figure out who's the most valuable red. You can define that however you want, but most valuable red in the history of this organization. And every week we're going to do a round of the bracket contest. And then I'm going to put some a post up at redlegnation.com. And you have to go to redlegnation.com. It'll be posted sometime on Sunday every week. And we'll leave it up for three days. 30, uh, three days, 72 hours. And let you vote on who advances in each of these games uh, between players in Red's history, who you think is the most valuable. And... Then the next week we'll go on to the round of 32, then the round the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, and figure out till we get all the way to the Final Four and the championship. So, are you ready for this, Jason? I am ready, Chad. How excited are you to determine who is the most valuable red? Moderately. <laughs> really, you're going into this with just moderate excitement. I'm, I'm trying to get everybody pumped up to enjoy the madness. I mean, anybody who knows me well enough knows that moderate excitement, that's 
that's really quite an accomplishment. All right, excellent. So we're going to go through the first-round matchups here right now. We're going to give some thoughts on who we think uh, should win, but whatever. You all vote for whoever you want. This Sunday, and we're posting this. Uh, it'll be posted up on Friday morning, as always. So Friday morning, the 12th. This will be posted up on Sunday, the 14th. And uh, I'll also try to post on our at Red, at Red Leg Radio on Twitter a copy of the the bracket. You can fill out your own brackets and follow along if you'd like. So, first of all, we have the four play-in games. They call them the first four in the NCAA tournament, but well, we'll call them the first four as well. But these are going to be the, the the 16 seeds battling to face the number one seeds in the first round of the tournament. Now, I should say before we beginning, this this is not a competition. It's only an ex- exhibition. Please, no wagering. Okay, so anyway, the the, the play-in games here, again, these are the the 16 seeds that are going to be fighting for the opportunity to face the number one seeds in uh, in each of these regions. We have four regions, the Crosley region, the Riverfront region, the Great American region, and the Palace of the Fans region. Can can you figure out how I named those uh, regions, Jason? Um, they are named after insurance companies? Yes, one of them is. The Palace of the Fans region. So, yes. now, these these 16 seeds, this is an important thing because it's possible for a 16 seed to beat a number one seed. I, I know this for a fact. Has that ever happened? In basketball, it happened once. <laughs> Every... You can, you can take it lightly now. Oh, I love it now. Yeah, every single number one seed in, in in NCAA basketball tournament that ever lost to a number sixteen seed, they've never lost a game since in the NCAA tournament. Undefeated. You know, they are going to be a trivia question forever because of that. Yeah, like but, a number one seed that loses in the first round and then wins the national championship the next year. What a redemption story! I can't wait for yeah. the thirty for thirty. So here are our four. Uh, this is in the Crosley bracket. All right. The Crosley region, the 16 seeds in the in the first four, Scott Williamson versus Corey Patterson. Who you got there, Jace? Uh, I mean, who do I really have or who do I amusingly have? <laughs> I think we know the answer to that. Kind of hoping yeah. kind of hoping Corey Scott Williamson an underrated Reds career rookie of the year, but kind of hoping Corey Patterson comes out of that one. Yeah. Yeah. The Riverfront uh, bracket, the 16 seeds, Dave Parker Versus Wayne Krenchicki. I know your heart's with Wayne Krenchicki here, Chad. My heart's always with Wayne Krenchicki. Do you think we're going to get some pushback on Dave Parker only being a 16 seed? Well, maybe. But, uh, you know, we, we were talking about it and we looked at it. And he really only did have one season as a Red where he was really good. Um, so that felt reasonable. Yeah. At the time, you know, we were kids and we thought, boy, that guy's awesome. Yeah. Kind of look at it. He's, you know, not exactly. In the Palace of the Fans region, the 16 seeds, Tom Browning versus Skip Schumacher. Now, Tom Browning is where we're going to get some pushback. Big time. Mr. Perfect, one, you know, 120 games, all that stuff. Even for me, Browning was for a short time. He was my favorite player. Yeah. I, oh, I, I mean, Tom Browning's loads of fun. But again, it's one of those things that with hindsight, you're like, oh, he did some cool things, but. Yeah, yeah. And, and part of the fun with this thing, I hope, and you guys feel free to talk to us at Red Leg Radio. He's at Jason Linden. I'm at Dotson C on Twitter. 
let us know where you disagree with the seedings. And you know, one of the things we should say, and, and this is with the exception of, of four rather obvious players in these playing games, um, is that there are a lot of good players in Reds history. You know, we, we talked about the seeding a little bit, and there were times where if you had just asked me to say, where do you think this person would be seated, I would have had lots of guys higher than they ended up being because, you know, they're just it's hard to keep all the names in your head. Yeah, once you start looking at all these names, and, and you get to see it when you see the bracket, you know, 150 years practically, a lot of good players. And so yeah. the, the fact that Tom Brown is just a number 16 seed here, you know, that's not exactly, uh, it's not It's not a condemnation, I think is the way I'd put it. But we all know that Skip Schumacher's forearms are the dark horse to win the whole thing. Well, Skip Schumacher gets here, and again, we're talking most valuable red. Not necessarily best red. When you talk about most valuable red, you got to think Skip Schumacher might have a chance of, of, of getting a, uh, through past the first round, just because of all that grit. He was gritty. He was, he was very gritty. He was heavy grit sandpaper. Absolutely. The other 16-seed matchup, and I want to uh, caution everyone that you don't want to disappoint me on this one, but the matchup's going to be Pedro Borbone versus Luis Alberto Monia. Nothing else we need to say about that. Okay, let's go to the Crosley region. Now, we're, oh. again, we're going to have those up. We're going to have all the first-round matchups, including those 16-seed uh, matchups in there. Vote for uh, vote for who you think. Uh, there's going to be a poll at redlegnation.com that you'll need to vote on. Now, let's go to the Crosley region. The number one seed who will face the winner of the Scott Williamson-Corey Patterson match, Johnny Bench. He was good. He was okay, yeah. I don't know that we need to yeah. say much about the Johnny Bench versus Scott Williamson or Corey Patterson yeah. matchup. That's, um, li- that's like if the number one overall seed in a basketball tournament were to play, I don't know, uh, the University of Maryland at Baltimore County. And then lose. Hey, stop it. The eight, well, nine, honestly, I mean, Johnny Bench versus Corey Patterson or Scott Williamson is even an even bigger mismatch than that. <laughs> I think maybe you're right. Um, so uh, I, I anticipate Bench, Bench is going to come out of that one. The 8-9 game, 8-seed Cy Seymour versus 9-seed Pete Donahue. And I like this one because it's a couple guys that you you all are going to have to go look up on Baseball Reference. I think, because not exactly two of the better-known names in Reds history, but um, I think I think if people go look at it, I think Pete Donahue is going to slip through there. He had an underrated career. I, you know, I like Cy Seymour here because he had a few good seasons, but one really transcendent season uh, for the Reds back at the dawn of time, long, long ago. Um, so you know, we'll we'll see. Um, We'll see what happened, but basically, you know, Seymour had had four seasons with the Reds, uh, over which he compiled about twenty wins above replacement, which is really not bad for for four seasons. Yeah, I like these matchups between, and there's not a lot of them between like uh, two old guys because we try to mix it up just a little bit. But that's one that I think is really fascinating. I hope you all go go check check out their stats because uh, it, it two really good players. And, of course, Cy Seymour's a great name. Now, the 5-12 matchup in the, in the Crosley region. In the NCAA tournament, the 5-12 game every year, everybody's like, that's where you get your upsets. And, like, I don't know, 11 of the last 12 years, or even more than that maybe, there's been at least one upset of a 12 seed beating a 5 seed. 
and we'll go through the rest of these regions, but this is the one that I would not be surprised. I wouldn't, I'm not going to vote for the 12 seed here, but I would not be surprised if the 12 seed comes out ahead in this 12 uh, 5 matchup. The 5 seed is Jim Maloney. The 12 seed, Chris Sabo. What do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, you, I love Sabes. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I'm probably going to take the higher seed in, in the vast majority of these, uh, or probably in all of them, because uh, let's be honest, you and I sat together and figured out the bracket, but, (laughs) but, you know, but I agree. I I think, I think Sabo is, is an interesting, uh, an interesting choice. He was, uh, he was, you know, the, the, the initial incarnation of Todd Frazier, really. He really was. And for a short while, I mean, his star shot up uh, and shone bright, but uh, a short career, a lot of people are going to be of our age. They're going to be like, Oh, that was our guy growing up. So we're talking about most valuable red and not, not best red. So, again, you can define that however you want, and, and Sabo was a key part of some big teams. Jim Maloney, though, I, I'm not sure how many people these days recognize how integral Jim Maloney was in, in kind of the creation or the run-up to the, the Big Red Machine. That guy was good. Yeah. Yeah, so... The, 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 like, you know, I, I knew, but I didn't know, you know, when we were putting this right. together, I was, back, I was like, oh, wow, yeah. The four seed, the next matchup is the number four seed, Bid McPhee. Hall of Famer versus number 13 seed Bronson Arroyo. That's an interesting matchup. Bid Mufia, uh, a pre 1900s uh, guy who's in the National Baseball Hall of Fame versus Bronson Arroyo, who's another guy who's he's a Reds Hall of Famer. Um, kind of an underrated career, but uh, do you think he's going to get what we call recency bias that some people are going to support him over uh, Bid Mufia just because they've heard of him? You know, I could see I could see an upset coming here also because of the. I always look askance at the stats of players from as long ago as Bid McPhee. Yeah. Um, you know, Bid McPhee technically isn't even the modern era. So when people talk about, like, all-time leaders, he's often getting excluded in the first place because he's he played essentially before the modern era of baseball began. Uh, great name, Bid McPhee. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, how, how much do you it – was, it was pre-1900. What do you – you know? Yeah. How, how do you – I don't know. You tell me who's more valuable, Bronson Arroyo or Bid McPhee. The the six eleven matchup, number 11 seed Jake Beckley, a Reds Hall of Famer, versus number 6 seed Brandon Phillips in the Crosley region. I mean, that, that, it's obvious. That's an obvious Phillips to me, but yeah. I, I think so too, but uh, Beckley, again, go look, at the, go look at the numbers for all these guys. It's an interesting matchup. Beckley was, was good, but I, I think it's clearly Phillips, even though he's not a fan of Red Leg Nation. Uh, here's one that I, I want to talk about just kind of quickly. Number three seed in this region, Ed Roush, center fielder for the 1919 Reds, Hall of Famer, versus the number 14 seed, one of, I think, two current Reds who made the bracket, Eugenio Suarez. What do you think about that one? I mean, it's clearly Roush. Yeah. Because Suarez's value is, is ahead of him. You know, he's a 14 seed. But uh, give that a few years though, and then see. Yeah, I look forward to seeing how the how the the viewers rate that one. The yeah. seven ten matchup in the Crosley bracket: Joe Nuxhall, the old left hander, versus John Riley. Gonna, you know, I feel like Nuxhall is going to get the both the seating advantage and the uh, fan love advantage here. Yeah, Riley was a great player. Nuxhall was a good player. 
But Nuxall was Nuxall, and if you all don't vote Joe Nuxall through, I will be a little bit disappointed because he's the old left-hander rounding third and hitting for the second round. Now, the number two seed in this bracket, again, Johnny Bench was the number one seed. Number two seed, Veda Pinson, faces the number 15 seed, Rob Dibble. Here we have one of the most underrated Reds ever versus Rob Dibble, who had a good career as a Red, but perhaps a little overrated when you look at their numbers. That's an interesting matchup, don't you think? It, it is an interesting matchup, and you've got the recency bias with, with Dibble there, but I feel like maybe it's just me, but Pinson has always been somebody that I was aware of, and, and I knew that he was really good. So I feel like he's, for some reason, in the in the minds of a lot of Reds fans or whatever. So I feel like he probably will cruise through, through fairly easily. As well he should. I mean, I, I'm a, a fan of Dibble. Uh, the way he pitched, but uh, Pinson is Pinson. I mean, he was, if if Frank Robinson hadn't been a Red, Pinson's the star of this team during his career. So that's the Crosley bracket. Again, your top four seeds in the Crosley bracket, number one, Johnny Bench, number two, Veda Pinson, number three, Ed Roush, and number four, Bid McPhee. Let's move to the Riverfront region. Uh, do you understand I named these regions after the stadiums, Jason? Oh, really? Yeah, that the Reds have played in. Fascinating. That's a really good idea, Chad. Thank you. I appreciate that. Number one seed in the Riverfront region, Frank Robinson. Boy, that guy was good. He was all right. Yeah, rest in peace. Uh, recently passed away, but Frank Robinson. Also, you know, we talk about Pence and his teammate, but still, I think, criminally underrated in Cincinnati. Frank Robinson, a baseball legend. He's going to face the winner of the Dave Parker-Wayne Krinchicki matchup. Yeah, I, I got to take uh, take uh, Frank there. I wish Wayne Krinchicki had actually ended up in Johnny Bench's bracket. I wish I'd have thought about that because <laughs> it didn't even occur to me because they could have played in the first round. And the story you all heard it if you listen to Red Lake Nation Radio for a while uh, is that my very first game as a Red was Johnny Bench's final season uh, as a Reds fan was it my first big league game ever. Johnny Bench's final season. All I'd heard from all the adults around me was Johnny Bench, Johnny Bench, Johnny Bench, and uh, so I got to see him play. But no, we walk in the stadium, and, and Wayne Krinchicki was starting in his place. So, um, so I probably should have uh, take, made the executive decision to put him up in the Crosley region. But instead, he's rear front facing Frank Robinson here. Parker, I expect uh, Parker may get through unless you guys will vote Krinchicki for me. But Robinson's going to win that one, you think? Yeah. The eight nine matchup. Two guys again, sort of an old school matchup in some ways. Johnny Vandermeer is the eight seed versus Frank McCormick, the number nine seed. Now, Vandermeer, we all know for the back-to-back no-hitters, but he had a good Reds career other than just the back-to-back no-hitters. McCormick is a guy that some of you may not really know, and I hope, again, I hope you'll go look up their career statistics because Frank McCormick, that guy was kind of the, he was the key guy for some some pretty good Reds teams and, uh, and had really a career that, He's kind of forgotten in some ways in Reds history, but a number nine seed here—that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, when you look at all the all the players in Reds history, right? Yeah, he was he was good. I mean, yeah, and and and, and he was he had kind of a I don't know, kind of like he was he was the first baseman, kind of like a Brandon Phillipsy kind of career almost, I guess. Mm-hmm. Where like he was never like sort of MVP caliber or whatever, but just really consistently good for quite a while. Yeah, an above average guy. Uh, at, at first base for a long time. Now, I wonder if Vandermeer gets the, the nod here because of he's Johnny Vandermeer and we've all heard of him because yeah. of his one big thing. But I think if you go and look, it's 
if people really take it seriously and look at it, it's going to be a close matchup, uh, which as an 8-9 seed should be. Now, the 12-5 matchup, I don't expect this one uh, to go like the the Maloney-Sabo one in the, the Crosley region. But, uh, no, I don't think this will be close at all. I don't either, but uh, still a fairly interesting matchup because one of the guys is a recent guy. Dave Concepcion, shortstop for the Big Red Machines, number 5 seed versus number 12 seed, Aroldis Chapman. He, he used to pitch for the Reds. Yeah, so, Concepcion probably breezes there, but uh, Chapman, one of the better relievers in Reds history, uh, maybe a push at a 12 seed. That might be a little high for him, uh, but I don't know. He he was really really good. Made four All Star teams as a Red. Now the guy that I think when we're talking this next matchup, when we're talking about most valuable Reds, here's the guy that I think is under. I think is a fair seed based on his career, but if you're talking mm-hmm. about most valuable, your number four. I think he could go far here. I think he's the the, the seed below, four or below that has a chance of, or even below a one seed, has a really chance, big chance of going far. Number four seed Eric Davis versus number thirteen seed Bob Perky, pitcher. Uh, you see what I'm saying about Davis? Yeah, I do. I mean, what an what an absolutely essential player to to a particular run of Reds teams, and I mean, and, and his, the height. Of his powers, yeah. like an eighty-seven, which is a, yeah. a good chapter in the book of the Big Fifty. Um, that's why I wonder if you're talking about most valuable, does he get bumped up? Because at the height of his career, he was as good as anyone. The next Willie Mays, they called him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the eternal boy. If he could have stayed healthy, oh, player. Absolutely. Uh, Dolph Luke is the number six seed. He'll face off against Tony Mullane, another one of those pre-modern era pitchers whose numbers look really good, but uh, it's a little difficult to tell. I think Luque is a guy that most Reds fans, he's the he's a, in the Veda Pinson camp of criminally underrated in some ways. Go look at his stats. Luque should cruise there, right? Yeah, I think so. I think, I, uh, yeah, yes. Number three seed versus number 14 here. Lee Mays, the 14 seed. Again, that's a, a testament to the strength of the bracket, but... Versus number three seed, the best name in the bracket, Heine Grow. Heine Grow, currently the best third baseman in Reds history. Yes, yes. Even better than Wayne Krenchicki. Even better, as hard as that is to believe. Yeah, Heine Grow, a guy that uh, is probably the guy that's, I keep saying this, but uh, <laughs> underrated, but he's a guy that's not remembered. Yeah, and that's one where I could see there being an upset because of the name recognition issue, but yeah, Grow should. Breeze there, but we'll see. Well, Gro's a guy that's on the on the cusp, on the brink of being a, a, a retired number guy, even though he played before numbers, I, I think. But he's a he's that good. He was that big of a legend in Reds history. But yeah, you know Lee May, the big bopper. I don't know. That would be. Uh, uh, we're talking most valuable. Vote how you want to vote. Seven versus ten. Two of my favorite players in the entire bracket. Number seven seed Yule Blackwell. Probably my favorite chapter in the Big 50, the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds, was about Yule Blackwell. That was such a fun one. But he's facing off against maybe my favorite Red of all time. He's up there. The 10 seed Adam Dunn. What do you think? How's this one going to turn? How do you vote, and how's it going to turn out? I mean, I take Blackwell. I would not be surprised if Dunn won. The whip, Yule Blackwell, was a better player. For six years, Yule Blackwell was an all-star and widely considered around baseball, not just in Cincinnati, but around baseball, as the most intimidating, best pitcher in baseball in some ways. Um, 
it was a short uh, peak there. Well, six years, that's pretty good. But Adam Dunn, also underrated. Yeah. He was good. Plus, he, he, he made the call to Marty. He was Adam from Milwaukee. <laughs> Number two seed in the Riverfront region, Tony Perez. Big dog. He's facing yeah. off against a guy that I think a lot of people are going to be surprised to see in the bracket. But, you know, whatever. Argue with us on our seedings. The 15 seed, Cal Daniels. Yeah, I mean, Cal Daniels, we, we both, he was, you know, obviously near the bottom of the choices. But he had two really good seasons. You know, Cal Daniels, I think, is, if you look at the numbers, indisputably better than Dave Parker was for the Reds. Yeah, we um, we agreed that Daniels needed to be in here. People don't realize it, right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't like, you know, he was, I was a kid when he came around, and it was such a, such a, you know, burn bright and fast kind of career that almost by the time I had a chance to know who he was, he was kind of already gone. Um. Because he just, you know, it was a, the the injury bug again, you know. Yeah, he, he kind of flamed out because of that. But it's a, but in terms of most valuable, there for a short while, that guy's talent was talented. He's going to lose to Tony Perez, though, right? Oh, for sure. Perez is a two seed here. It depends on the generation, I think, of people that are voting. But when we're talking about most valuable, I could see some older era Reds fans, some guys like our buddy Bill Lack, who's uh, on on the podcast uh, often. I could see them saying, this guy, he was the cog in the big red machine. So when we're talking valuable, he's the guy. Do you think he could uh, make a push to win the whole thing? No. I don't know. I think he could, depending on I who our electorate is. Um, all right, so that is the Riverfront region. Your top four seeds, Frank Robinson, Tony Perez, number two, number three, Heine Grow, and number four, Eric Davis. That's the Riverfront region. Let's move over to the Great American region. Joe Morgan is your number one seed in the Great American Region. Hey, that Joe Morgan was good. Joe Morgan, boy, Joe Morgan was good. I think he is the number one seed that is most susceptible to an upset in the first round, though. <laughs> you mean because you love Lisa Alberto? He's facing either Pedro Borbon or Lisa Alberto Bonilla, and I could see. Listen, I love our viewers here of uh, Red Leg Nation Radio. I could see a really strong sentimental pull for. Lisa Alberto over Joe Morgan. Nah, he's up what you got to tell yourself, Chad. Lisa Alberto was good, but he wasn't as good as Joe Morgan, right? No. The eight nine matchup here. The eight seed is uh, Jim O'Toole. O'Toole, the best pitcher, really, probably uh, on that nineteen sixty one Ragamuffin Reds team that won the National League pennant versus Reggie Sanders. Another guy that's underrated that should be in the Reds Hall of Fame, who his 1995 season was way better than anyone realizes. Uh, Jim O'Toole versus Reggie Sanders. I don't know who wins that. If you go look at the stats, I don't know how you fall on who's most valuable. Uh, I, I'm taking Sanders there, frankly. Yeah, I, I think he's probably going to get the recency bias vote as well. But O'Toole, man, that guy was, uh, again, kind of a forgotten pitcher in Reds history, but he was the guy. You know, if if you read the book, the Big Fifty, he went into the, was the starting pitcher one of the games in this big uh, doubleheader out in uh, L.A. that year, and he was the guy. I mean, he was absolutely the guy. He faced Don Drysdale and uh, wore him down. So, I don't know. I mean, I think Sanders probably advances there. But if anyone wants to vote for Jim O'Toole, bring it on. Um, I want to I want to point something out real quick about Sanders here. 
Um, he is somebody that managed, he had a 16 year career, right? Um, and often kind of like, as was the case with, with Davis, he, he had a hard time staying on the field, but when he was on the field, boy, he was good. I mean, he had almost 40 wins above replacement. He had two thirds of a hall of fame career playing only a, a, a 17 year career and often missing a lot of time. But yeah, because he was injured a lot and because he played for so many teams, you don't really think about him. Yeah. But I mean, he is absolutely somebody where if he had not had health issues, the question would have been not, is he a Reds hall of famer, which it's criminal that he's not in. The question would have been, is he a baseball hall of famer? Can I say this? I don't do the Instagram thing much, but every every once in a while I'll post something on that Instagram, and every time yeah. he like uh, he he likes one of my uh, pictures on there, and that's the guy that is sort of like, oh, Reggie Sanders just liked my picture. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I turned back into a you know twelve year old boy. So now the twelve five matchup in this region, we talked about Jim Maloney versus Chris Sable. I think that's the, the one that's most ripe for an upset, but this one to me is the most fascinating. Because we're talking about most valuable red. Number five seed, Ernie Lombardi. Yeah. Reds Hall of Famer. Baseball, National Baseball Hall of Famer. Versus the 12 seed, Kevin Mitchell. Go look at Kevin Mitchell's stats. For a brief period. I don't think in my lifetime, other than Joey Votto, I don't think I've seen a better Reds hitter than Kevin Mitchell. I, well, I mean that seriously. When you... When, this is one of, one of my favorite things is that the threshold for how far down you have to go on plate appearances to find someone who was a better hitter than Joey Votto in their time with the Reds is Kevin Mitchell. Yes. He was it, unbelievable. He doesn't have a thousand plate appearances with the Reds even. Um, he's comes in at like eight something. It's like 870 something or whatever. Uh, but he has a better better career numbers with the Reds than Joey Votto in his, okay. across his 800 and whatever plate appearances. So when you're talking about most valuable, if you really look at the numbers here, for a short period, if you're talking about him at his peak, he was better than Ernie Lombardi as a Red for that peak. Yeah. But Lombardi's a Hall of Famer, and he had a big nose, and he was really slow. But... Uh, I don't know. I think that's a fascinating matchup that I expect Lombardi to win easily because we've heard of him. But yeah, but it's still fun. It's very fun. Mitchell, man, I loved watching that guy. The 4-13 matchup, 4-seed Jose Rijo versus 13-seed John Franco. Any thoughts about that one? I mean, I think Rijo in a landslide. Probably. Franco's remembered as a Met, but was, the, as far as I'm concerned, the best relief pitcher in the league before he was traded to the Mets in that Randy Myers deal. A really good Reds career. Probably a guy, he's not in the Reds Hall of Fame, I don't think. He probably should be, I think. No, you talk about Eric Davis as kind of a dark horse. You want to talk about value. Uh, Jose Rijo? Yeah. I mean, do the Reds win in 1990 without Jose Rijo? No. A four seed like Davis. Yeah, those are two guys that I'm going to be really interested to see how far they go in this competition. Uh, the, the number six versus number 11 matchup, one of the uh, least sexy matchups of the first round, but an interesting one to me, Lonnie Fry 
maybe uh, you know he has an argument uh, to be one of the best uh, second basemen of all time. He's right up there with uh, Brandon Phillips and as a second baseman. But Lonnie Fry's the sixth seed. Aaron Harang, our number eleven seed. Harangatang. Thoughts about that one? Uh, I'm on. If I'm honest, I might pick the upset there. I might take Aaron Harang. Um, Again, think about most valuable. At the time he was a red, he was a stud. Yeah. He he had some really great seasons, and Harang is somebody whose numbers, uh, he he pitched during that era of maximum offense. So, like, his ERA and stuff often doesn't look that shining, but if you look at it within the context of the era, you really get a sense that that he really was uh, a pretty good player. Yeah, and Lonnie Fry, a guy that a lot of Reds fans don't really know about, had a really good career. He was good, but uh, uh, I could see Harang sneaking through there. Uh, and plus, I'm a big fan of Aaron Harang, just an all-around good guy. Number three seed, Epa Rixey, versus the number 14 seed, Don Gullett. So some, some Reds pitchers here. D- let me ask you this question. Do you know Epa Rixey? He's the number three seed. That's a that's a high seed for a guy that maybe some Reds fans are unacquainted with. Do you know where Epa Rixey went to college? Was it, was it in Virginia? It, it, it was in Central Virginia. Was it the University of Virginia? He attended the University of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson's University, or as we say, Mr. Jefferson's University. Epa Rixey! Do you think he's well-known enough to beat Don Gullet? I don't know. We'll find out. Will I mean, Rick, he has, he, he's one of the, the handful of guys who, who have a case for best pitcher in Reds history. Um, so he should, but we'll see. Yeah, vote for Epa Rixey. The seven ten seed was uh, number seven seed Don uh, Gary Nolan, who's Don Gullett's teammate on the Big Red Machine, versus Ken Griffey. Of course, we're talking Ken Griffey Senior. Gary Nolan versus Ken Griffey Senior. That's going to be interesting. Griffey's value is largely in the fact that he was above average for a long time. Yeah. Nolan was one of these that shot into the stratosphere, and for a short while, was as good as anyone. But it was a very short while. Yeah. So I, I don't know who you pick there. I, I could argue both ways on that one. Who who are you taking when you vote on that one? I don't know. That's tough. I, I think I'm going Nolan because he was so good at his peak. But yeah, you know, I think I think I might take Griffey on that one. But I, you know, you ask me tomorrow, and I might have a different opinion. <laughs> I will ask you tomorrow. Look forward to the message. Yeah, we won't record that. Here we go. The number two seed, Joey Votto. This is Joseph Daniel Votto versus the number 15 seed, Sean Casey. A couple of first basemen. Yep. Um, If Joey Votto loses in the first round here, I will never write another word about the Reds ever again. (laughs) Don't tempt everyone. Isn't it kind of sad, though, that Sean Casey's probably going to go out in the first round? Because he was a good guy. Yeah, he was a good guy. Um, You know, Votto, we we should say we had a debate about this. Uh, Votto and um, our our number two seed in the next region were, it was touch and go. We were trying to figure out who kind of our fourth number one seed was, and and there were a, a few options, and so they are kind of like the, the sort of the top two number two seeds. 
Yeah, I think we agreed that Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, Frank Robinson were number one seeds. And yeah. the last number one seed, we had a pretty good discussion about was it uh, Votto or was it the number one and two seeds in the upcoming uh, Palace of the Fans region? We'll get to yeah. that in a moment. So, uh, yeah, and that's a good debate to have. It's fun. That's what I liked about this is the idea that we could argue about seeding as well. So, But Votto's going to win that one. I mean, I love Sean Casey. He's one of my favorite players yeah. ever for the Reds. But come on, Joey Votto's elite. All right, the Palace of the Fans region. Number one, well, actually, before we get... Go to the Palace of the Fans. Quickly, the great American top four seeds. Joe Morgan, number one. Joey Votto, number two. Number three seed, Epa Rixi from the University of Virginia. And number four, Jose Rijo, not from the University of Virginia. In the Palace of the Fans region, number one seed, Pete Rose facing Tom Browning or Skip Schumacher. Uh, Pete Rose, you know, Pete Rose is Pete Rose, but he's going to win that one easily, right? Yeah. The 8-9 game, and again, Pete Rose is one of those guys that we, th- that we debated between him and Votto in the number two seed in this region as the number one seed. We ultimately give it to Rose. He's He had a lot of hits. Bucky Walters is the number eight seed. He's going to face Big Clue, Ted Klazuski, the number nine seed. Uh, yeah, I got Walters there. You got Walters. I think I vote for Walters as well. Matter of yeah. fact, I know I would vote for Walters, but I think Klazuski may pull that one out because uh, – who knows Bucky Walters? Yeah, well, I was going to say Walters is underrated. Um, Walters? It, I know Bucky Walters, and you know Bucky Walters, but, yeah, Clue has uh, more of a reputation. Yeah, he cut off his sleeves. He was strong. He cut off his sleeves. He was a sleeve cutter offer. Bucky Walters, as you would know if you read The Big 50. Originally a third baseman, convinced to convert to pitching and became one of the best pitchers in Red's history. That'll be an interesting one. I don't know who's going to win it. I'm voting for Walters, but... I get it. I, if you vote for Big Clue, I don't have any problem with you. The 5-12 matchup. This one probably the number five seed that I think is in least danger of getting upset is uh, Johnny Cueto. He'll be facing the number 12 seed Frank Dwyer. And it's yeah. not because I think Dwyer, Dwyer is bad. Dwyer is really good, but yeah. who knows Frank Dwyer. Yeah, Cueto is going to cruise there. Yeah, and Cueto, a guy that uh, really just what a career. Uh, in that seat, and Cueto had a good case for being the number four seed. We ultimately gave the number four seed in the Palace of the Fans region to Paul Derringer. And uh, he'll face off against, we're talking about good Reds pitchers, Tom Seaver, the number yeah. 13 seed in this region. I could see that being a name recognition upset, maybe. Well, uh, or maybe just an overall, because Seaver obviously was overall better. Yes, than that's what, yeah. But he wasn't better for the Reds. Right. That could be MVP. Uh, Tom Seaver was one of the best pitchers in, in Major League Baseball history. Paul Derringer, if you go look up his uh, stats, really good Reds career. Yeah. But uh, I don't know that – I know it's a 4-13 matchup, but I don't know that I don't vote for Seaver as MVP. You have to give him a 13 based on his entire career as a Red. But I don't know. That's one that I may vote for. The sixth seed, I'm going to ask you for your opinion on this one. The sixth seed, Noodles Hahn. Versus the 11 seed Red Lucas, you got some uh, something interesting to tell us about that matchup? Noodles Han versus Red Lucas. Do do I have something interesting <laughs> to tell you about that matchup? Um, it is players from long ago. Uh, I mean, I t- I take Noodles there. I think I think Red Lucas is fine. You literally just said on the Red Leg Nation Radio podcast, I take Noodles. I mean, I do. I mean, Han was one of those like. He was good. There were a 
few guys on here, but he was he did not play forever. His his entire career was rather short. But when he played, he played almost entirely for the Reds, and he was really good. The next matchup is one that I would put in the very uh, tiny handful of most interesting matchups of the entire first round. The number three seed, George Foster, versus the number 14 seed, Ken Griffey Jr. Yikes, that's kind of like the Derringer Seaver matchup in some ways. Foster, an MVP as a Red, versus Ken Griffey, an MVP as a Mariner. Wow, I, I don't know what to expect people to vote on that one. I mean, yeah, Foster, I don't either. This is, and I also know, though, that this is the only... Uh, Team Madness bracket that would have two Griffies in it, which is fun. Exactly. So that's an interesting one. Uh, Foster, unbelievable as a red. Griffey was good as a red. Yeah. But, uh, junior Griffey. But. Now the number 7-10 matchup here, Mario Soto, the 7 seed, versus Ival Goodman, the 10 seed. Catcher for the Reds. Uh, I think Soto wins that from name recognition purposes. But I'm a little upset about uh, this one because I think Soto's going to win, but he's probably going to lose in the next round. And these are the guy that Soto versus the guy that he may face in the next round are two of my favorite players in the history. Yeah, I think we're going to get some flack probably for having Soto as a seven seed even. Uh, Yeah, as I look at this, you can... We're going to want him higher. I understand why he's there, and I I agree with it. But um, but yeah, people are going to want him higher. Me too. I want him higher. I used to play wiffle ball in the front yard with my brother, and and I was Mario Soto, and uh, every time, and we, you know that that he was my guy. I, I remember this is, we'll show you how old I am. The Sporting News used to become is a print item. Some of you don't know what print is, but just come in our mailbox, and one one week Mario Soto was on the cover with uh, Joaquin Andujar of the Cardinals, and I thought, oh my gosh, there's a Cincinnati Red on the cover of the Sporting News. And I fell in love with uh, with Mario Soto from that point forward. So uh, please vote for Soto. But now Goodman, let's not give him short shrift. He was good. Yeah, he he, he was a good man. The two fifteen matchup in the uh, Palace of the Fans region. Another guy that had a chance of sneaking in as a number one seed. Barry Larkin gets the number two seed in this region. He'll face off against fan favorite. Jay Bruce, the number 15 seed. Obviously, it's Larkin. Obviously, yeah. But, uh, hey, we like Jay, too. He was affable. He was affable, and he's one of, I think, only three currently active players on the bracket. No, Chapman is four. Yeah, Bruce, Cueto's five. Bruce, Chapman, Cueto, and Vado, Suarez. Yeah, okay, so five. I can count. Is Brandon Phillips still active? I don't. I don't even. Know. Uh, he's trying to be, but nobody has offered him. <laughs> Nobody's taking the bait. So that is your Red Leg Nation Radio Madness. That's your first round bracket. Now again, you can go to redlegnation or redlegnationradio.com. You can find the post where we uh, are have all our polls up, and you can vote on the first round matchups. And next week we'll come back. We'll talk about who uh, got through and who's going to keep going. But uh, we kind of need to po- put a bow on this one because this is our longest podcast ever, Jason. We've gone longer than we should have. Yikes! I just looked at the. We do. I just looked at the number. Any final thoughts about the current day Reds? 
I don't think so. I don't think I have any final thoughts about the current day Reds, except that I think they are going to go, and I like it when they go. Go Reds. Go Reds. Uh, this is uh, Red Leg Nation Radio. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us a good rating, whatever. You know what I say every week. I'm not going to get into it because we're running long. Uh, for Jason Lennon, at Jason Lennon on Twitter, I'm at Dotson C, Chad Dotson. So let's let's put it this way. For Jason Linden and Tony Bennett, head coach of the national champion University of Virginia Cavaliers, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Oh,